When it comes to hunting boots, how many pairs does one man need? Well, how many seasons are there? Turkey season? Deer season? Duck season? Dove season? Honey, how many pairs of boots does one man need? At least one more pair. For just about everything for hunting, go to MidwayUSA.com. I'm Larry Potterfield with Midway USA. Thanks for your business. Hunting is not easy. It never has been. It takes dedication, motivation, a lot of patience, and quality gear. If you manage a food plot, put up stands, or need just one more game camera, we can help at MidwayUSA.com. We opened our doors in 1977 and continue to put customers first by offering super fast, same day shipping. For just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Hey, I just got back from lunch. Did you finish that report yet? Uh, well, not exactly. I'm still working on it. I'm not finished just yet. Uh, I got a little sidetracked, but I will get them to you first thing this afternoon. <laughs> it is first thing this afternoon. Well, yeah, I, I understand that, but I mean, I, I am working on it. But I'll have, I'll what do you mean that the report isn't finished yet? I'm, I'm still in the process of working on it. I've just been a little distracted. Just distracted? Our meeting starts in an hour. Have it. You, you no no. What were you doing? Were you listening to another hunting podcast again? I swear, I give the staff in this office the freedom to do whatever they want to do as long as they meet a deadline. That is the first bullet underneath your job description. Pays attention to detail and deadline and deadline. Dude, are you even listening to me right now? Welcome to episode 78 of the Whitetail Distraction Podcast. My name's Austin, and joining me via Zoom, Charles Hedlund. How you doing, buddy? Doing well, buddy. What's going on tonight? Just hanging out, man. You know, doing Good a little editing, days. having some fun. It's almost turkey season. <laughs> Dude, how about the weather, though? Honestly, how about the weather? It's man, been freaking amazing. It's been is unreal. This, yeah, is this June or is, is this March? I don't know. <laughs> I saw a bee today. <laughs> Dude, I've been, I just killed a mosquito. That's what I just attacked across the room. I just killed a mosquito. I got bit today. <laughs> Unreal, <It's>... man. Unreal. <laughs> <laughs> Middle of March, we got mosquitoes. Now, we are supposed to get a bunch of rain, and it's supposed to cool off for only about a day or two, though. So, yep. And it's going to yep. bounce back next week. Beautiful in the 60s. Ooh. And I, I'm thinking next week I'm going to be out listening for turkeys in the morning. I don't know about you. Pretty soon here. I don't know if I'm going to quite do it next week, but pretty soon I'm going to start hitting it before yeah. work going out. Yeah, Listen I remember last year I was going out really early. Like I, I, it was either March or even maybe February. It was early, cold, and those birds were just gobbling their heads off. Still, yeah, yeah. well, it felt really early. I guess now, I mean, our season's like April thirtieth, I think twenty ninth, I think twenty ninth, something like yeah. that. It's a Saturday, right before an opener in May, and uh, you know that seems like an eternity away. But I've been getting turkeys on my trail camera. Yeah. And I also, another note, I have not seen a deer other than a half rack spike in the last, uh, like, 10, 15 days. And those deer look pretty big. Yeah, there's, uh, I don't know. I've been seeing similar, kind of, but I've also been seeing some people that literally there's actually some pretty significant deer that's still holding. 
Yeah, I got probably five or six pictures waiting on me for after this intro. I get to look at them for myself, Cam. Oh, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the trick is if I look on the mobile app, it's not quite as clear. I have those spy point cell yeah, cams. right. Not quite as clear, so you can't really tell what a shed buck is. You can see the, the size of the body, and yeah. that's kind of what I'm going off of. If you go online and look at your account, it's a little clear picture. Okay. Yeah. So I think I'm going to try to do that and see if I can't pick up any antlers or something. But as far as I can tell, man, it, I think it's almost time for me to hit the woods and do some shed hunting. I got to get in, in turkey season shape, like I told you before we started. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I'm right there with you, man. I I went out once, kind of not really a, a really very long trip. I took Logan out with me. We went for a little walk, found some sign. Found two like really, really significantly large scrapes that are still open that they were still getting hit. So yeah, mark those yeah. on on X. That was a new area that I hadn't been to. So that's pretty that's cool. Awesome. Didn't find a single shed, but you know, I got some areas I want to hit yet. More, a lot. <laughs> are we the world's worst shed hunters, buddy? I I don't know because like <laughs> you go you go out to like the Midwest and stuff like that, and those guys find like I don't know. 30 yeah. in a day and then around here i don't know i can walk 20 miles in a weekend and not find anything like <laughs> i yeah. just i don't i don't understand i know there's deer there i think uh i might find I one tips, <laughs> some of the tips that we've gotten from our buddy trev um i think we need to take him up on that what he was suggesting and hit some of those areas that we never thought about before yeah for and sure for let's sure see if we can't get our shed our shed numbers up, you know, it's fun to find sheds, but at the same time, if you're, if you're looking in places that you don't hunt personally, I don't know. It's weird, you know, because like me and you, we go shed hunting, we go shed scouting. Yeah. Hell yeah, definitely. So we're not really in it to find a lot of sheds. We're in it to find a lot of sign and that's when we do our best scouting. So if I'm shed hunting a property that I'm not hunting, yeah, there's no point in that for me personally. I don't know how you feel about that, but I, I don't know. That's how I feel. Yeah, I'm kind of along the lines with it. I mean, I do like to hit new areas, and, and, and you know, it is yeah. almost a scouting trip. If I find a shed, that's a plus. You know, I, I consider it shed hunting, but it's more scouting for me. I mean, I like yeah. to find them. I haven't found a ton of sheds, but, you know, I'd like to find more. That would be awesome. Yeah. I mean, like, say there's a little wood lot behind uh, a industrial building that you really can't hunt, but there's deer there. You know, we could go shed hunt that property, but we're never going to hunt. Right. 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 So at that point, I just don't see the point in doing it other than just to find sheds. And, you know, Pennsylvania, yeah, we have some big deer, but I don't know. I don't think we're going to find any uh, 58 to 80 inch sides anytime soon. (laughs) That would be impressive (laughs) for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Be pretty cool if we did, though. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you, man. We need a shed dog, man. We need to start training training our dogs to find sheds. Oh man. That would be awesome though. I mean Trev, he's been he's been finding some match sets and stuff with his dog. He's been tearing it up, yeah. buddy. Some really yeah. big I sheds. Was, <laughs> I was finding antlers like he's finding. I, I guess my attitude would probably change. Oh, for sure. For Definitely. sure. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Well, speaking of dogs and training dogs for hunting purposes, uh, who's our guest tonight? Oh, I like that little transition there, buddy. We have Shane Simpson. Yes, sir. Calling Shane all turkeys. The dude's a freaking animal. I love this guy. That's right, man. Yeah, check out his uh, YouTube page. It's just under Shane Simpson. I know we shouted out a couple times, but 
He, I mean, he really does hit it all with calling all turkeys, public land whitetails, and then the Cali Chronicles with his dog, like yep. I just mentioned. Um, man, he's got a really fun, uh, really fun YouTube channel, and he's really pumping out videos right now, too, that are pretty good. He's still uh, dropping turkey content, and I'm sure he's out there probably pretty soon here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would yeah. think he's probably... I think he's probably probably out right about now, isn't he? I don't know if he was going to Florida. I know he was going to Louisiana, New Orleans, and then I think he was hitting Alabama, possibly. I can't remember exactly. Which I think starts like this weekend, so something along those lines. So good luck to him, man, and and what a fun episode. We can't thank Shane enough for coming on and sharing his turkey knowledge. This guy is an absolute stud in the turkey woods and turkey calling. Yeah, man, I'm I'm right there with you. I had a blast talking to him, and you know, I picked up a couple things, and you know, I I picked up one of his calls, which is awesome. I'm excited about that, and you know, it's gonna be great, man. I'm excited. Let's get him on. All right, guys, we are finally into some turkey content. We are sitting down tonight with one of the greats, Shane Simpson, out of Minnesota. This guy is just slaying turkeys all year long, always traveling state to state hitting a whole bunch of states up on what seems to be very short trips because he's just knocking down turkeys left and right. And he's here with us tonight. Shane, what's going on, man? Let me let me correct you. I'm not turkey hunting year round. <laughs> I'm not a <laughs> I'm no poacher. <laughs> but I do turkey hunt for several months in the spring and uh, occasionally in the fall. I'm going good. How are you guys doing? I'm doing good. I guess it seems year round because you're dropping video content all year. Uh, yeah. You- <laughs> dropping turkeys <laughs> yeah. like right now we're enjoying some really good content some yeah, really good new it. videos appreciate it. I'm, I'm about to run out though and but i'm getting ready to start my 2021 season here shortly so right. i'll get some new stuff going that's right that's awesome and and just to touch real quick uh, you do have a youtube channel under uh shane simpson and i mean you guys you got to go on there and check that out you got basically the way i break down your youtube channel and you might break it down the same way you 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 got calling all turkeys, public land whitetails from 2020, and then the Cali Chronicles, which is really awesome with your dog and and the blood tracking and the work that uh, Cali does, which is really cool too. Um, is that pretty much sum it up? Yeah, that's when people ask about my channel. That's how I describe it. There's several playlists. There's a couple other playlists, but those are the three main ones: the public land whitetails playlist, Cali Chronicles and calling all turkeys and so yeah. if you want turkey hunting you got it if you want deer hunting you got it if you want deer recovery that's in there too and a little bit of other stuff but mostly just deer and turkey yeah beautiful man so why don't you do uh just a quick introduction of uh anybody that may not know about you uh, just a thirty thousand foot view um okay i was born and raised in south carolina moved up here uh, well, let me back up. Born and raised in South Carolina, started, my parents sold their property when I was young, so I started hunting public land. Piddled around with video in my hunts back then. When I was like 14, I bought my first camcorder. It was big shoulder-mounted VHS camcorders. <laughs> Moved up to Minnesota in 2008. Got into competition calling. Started hitting that pretty good. Looking for people up here to, to let me tag along and film their hunts because Minnesota has such a short, at the time, had such a short season. You can only, you know, kill one bird. South Carolina, we could hunt, you know, a month and kill five birds. And so I was looking ways to extend my season up here. Started putting those videos on YouTube so the people I hunted with could see their hunts, relive their hunts. Started getting subscribers. Next thing I know, however many years that's been now, I've got a full-fledged kind of 
YouTube channel which, or a show and a, a little bit of variety there. So that's kind of the, yeah. the, the summary of, of my life. A lot of details missing, but <laughs> that's <the gist laughs> a of lot it. in between. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Boy, if life was just that, it wouldn't be worth living with it. <laughs> oh, man. Well, like Chuck said earlier, man, we, we love your channel. And one of the things that he also mentioned is, you know, calling all turkeys. And I kind of want to just jump right into turkey content right off the bat. And we might touch on a couple of things other than that later. But, you know, it's almost turkey season and you're going to be hitting several states this year. I think you mentioned eight or ten. What's kind of like your starting point when you want to go and start scouting turkeys? Um, maybe digital scouting, maybe Onyx. What's what's kind of like your starting process for that? Well, obviously, I got to decide where I'm going, and a lot of that just determ is determined by when that that state opens. I like to get started as early as possible, and and uh, you know I look at like South Florida and, or Mississippi or any other, or even like Nebraska with the early archery. I'm just looking to get started, and then I'm looking for states that extend my season, like Michigan. I'm able to hunt into June if I draw the proper tag. So I, that's, I guess that's the, the first places I start is where am I going, which state? And then I start looking at, okay, what properties are available? Uh, and I, I don't necessarily just hop on Onyx and start looking at where they have public landmark. I'm also looking on the DNR or, or whatever the, the wildlife division uh, website to look at other types of public land that's open. Like in Wisconsin, for instance, they have uh, what's called VPAs, Voluntary Public Access. It's private landowners that open it, up their properties. And that changes from year to year. I mean, they, you can, it can be public one year and then close the next and new pro properties open. So I'm looking initially, what are the property types I can hunt? And then I may uh, dive into Onyx and see where those properties are located. Or even the, the DNR website, they'll have an interactive map a lot of times. And I have different terrains that I that I like to look for, depending on the state I'm going to. You know, sometimes I'm looking for just timber or hilly hilly timbered areas. Sometimes I'm just looking for uh, creeks, uh, especially in western states, South Dakota, Nebraska. I'm looking for big creeks or or small rivers that have trees, cottonwoods growing along them. Those typically have turkeys. If I can find some public property that has that, then I kind of target those. Here here in Minnesota, Wisconsin, I'm not afraid to go target smaller properties just to bounce around but in, in most instances when i'm hunting out of state i'm looking for a large chunk of property that gives me plenty of room to roam or plenty of options as far as if this part of the property doesn't have birds i have lots of pins dropped where i think i may find turkeys based on the, the topography or if there's creeks and you know i'm also looking for different types of wood types like there's a grove of pines here meeting up to oaks and a clear cut you know just different uh, habitat diversities so there's a lot of a lot of different things i'm looking at and then also where's the big cities i try not to pick public land near developed areas that maybe draw people after work or before work or on the weekends you know those places that are a little bit more out there away from major cities or or some of the mid-sized uh, cities that sort of thing yeah i think that makes sense no matter what species you're hunting just to yeah. get away the cities you're always going to get away from pressure a lot better there and that, and that stands true in almost every state as well even the ones that don't get a lot of pressure you get near a city you're still going to find pressure and like illinois if you get close to chicago you're still going to find pressure you know so i i think that's a good idea now looking at the logistics and this is kind of a perfect time to talk about this for you because you're only weeks out from making the trip i mean what's your preparation looking like 
gear wise, the logistics that go into, you know, how long you're going to stay at each state. Do you set yourself a time frame or do you just kind of know the order and then the time frame kind of creates itself? Well, I, I usually plot on my calendar a, a set time to depart for that state to when I think I'll arrive, how long I'll stay and when I'll depart and go to the next state. If I'm hunting two states back to back, like this trip that I start off, I'll start in Mississippi and I'll end up in Florida. Because I'm hunting the northern part of Florida or the northern zone, it's split into two zones. The south zone comes in earlier, like a week or two mm-hmm. earlier. So the south zone will already be in. The season will already start when I start hunting Mississippi. Even though I'm scheduled to, to hunt till Friday and arrive in Florida on a Saturday or Friday night and hunt Saturday, if I do well in Mississippi, let's say the stars line up and we, we feel some tags the first couple of days, I'm not opposed to hopping in the car and, and heading on to Florida early. I already have a tag and everything and maybe jump on to South Florida uh, to some of those WMAs there and just get an early start in the next state. But I, I usually kind of plot it out. A lot of times my schedule dictates how, how long I'll be somewhere or how long I have because I work a three day on four day off schedule at work. Those four days, like Iowa, for instance, I allot those Monday through Thursday, for instance. I may say, okay, I'm going to go to Iowa and hunt those four days. If I tag out that first day, then I have three days left. And so I, I always try to schedule backups. Last year, we went to Iowa, me and my buddy, we both killed our, our filled our tag the first day. So we hopped over into Minnesota and I filmed him, you know, hunt Minnesota. But I, I typically give myself on the longer out of state trips at least four to five, sometimes a day or two longer than that at each location, and then move to the next one. I, I try not to, if I'm traveling more than seven or eight hours, I try not to hunt less than four days at that spot just to give myself time to learn the area. And uh, if you're going to drive eight hours somewhere, you don't want to turn around and come right back the next day. You know, the days were, although <laughs> I did that years ago, I, I left work on a, I think a Friday night, I get off at 11 o'clock, I was working second. And I drove through the night and get to my spot in South Dakota at daybreak and, and hunt Saturday and, and then Sunday morning and then drive Sunday evening back home and then get up and go work Monday. Oh so, man. Yeah. So I was, I, <laughs> that's back when my schedule at work wasn't so conducive for traveling turkey hunter. Yeah. Are you working uh, remote as well? So you can stay down in the South for an extended period of time? No, or? no, I, I'm, t- I'm using vacation time. I save my vacation for turkey season. I know a lot of people save their vacation for deer. Uh, when deer rolls around, uh, if I don't have vacation left, which is not uncommon, I, I'll either, like I went to Nebraska, North Dakota this past year, I either swap with a coworker to try and move day, my days around to where I can get eight days continuous. Yeah. Worst case scenario, I'll take a, a week off without pay if I've got enough money saved up. But <laughs> I try to not do that. Yeah, that's, oh, that's rough on the uh, bank account. Yeah, that's last case. Uh, last case scenario there. Yeah, worst case. Yep. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, that is that. That's pretty hardcore, man. You know, and it's funny that you say that. Most guys do save all of their time for for deer hunting. I don't. I think you might be the first person that I really talked to that saves all of their vacation time for turkey season. That's that's hardcore, man. I love that. Yeah. I've got four weeks scheduled for uh, spring and one floater week that I'm trying to save for deer season. But yeah. if I if I get in that turkey hunting mode, I mean, like get really into it, I may burn that fifth week 
<laughs> it's not hard to do. I mean, it's the season <laughs> and turkey season comes first too. So it's like if my like my vacation restarts first of the year, right? So turkey season's kind of the first season that comes up, and I end up usually blowing a lot of days on turkey season and come deer season. I'm like, man, if I just you know didn't have that that one or two days that I was chasing that one gobbler back in the spring, but yeah. Uh, now, I'm, I, I, with that said, I am using a week. We're going on vacation. My family is the week prior to the start of Mississippi. We're going to New Orleans to kind of sightsee and do that thing. So I am using a week of non-turkey hunting related stuff. But it's uh, I guess it's worth the sacrifice. You got to keep the family happy a little bit so I can travel and turkey hunt. <laughs> Heck yeah. When you want to do eight to ten states in a year, that's, uh, yeah. that's a lot of time away from home. And that's tough for yeah. sure. No, it's but, tough for them, not for me. No, <laughs> don't let them hear that. They won't. They won't listen to this podcast. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, I was definitely referring to the other side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, about about midway through the season, haven't you turkey hunted enough? When, do you need to? Yeah. You know, I go out there. Well, as soon as I tag, as soon as I fill my tag, I'm coming back, and that means I I come home early. Oh. It'll never happen. <laughs> my luck, you, you'll be the last day before you feel your tag. Yeah. Yeah. My, my thing here is like, you, you know, when you find, when I finally do kill one, it's like, well, you already killed a turkey. What are you still hunting for? Yeah. <laughs> I got a second tag. <laughs> right. It's, well, I got another one. I got a buddy that needs to kill a turkey. I, you know. Oh, I, re always... I remember, I remember some phone calls home. Hey, I just, I just, uh, uh, kill, uh filled my tag and, she doesn't want to hear about the hunt. The first thing she says, does this mean you're coming home? And I'm like, <laughs> well, maybe. Do you, how, do you want to hear the story of the hunt? <laughs> oh, man. I, love I just that. give her a hard time, though. She yeah. Knows. Well, she must be a good woman because uh, to do what you got to do, you got to have the right woman. That's for sure. Yeah, she is. And uh, But also, she knew what she was getting into. <laughs> I, I made it abundantly clear before we started this relationship. Yeah, <laughs> That's uh, awesome. she, she is a good one. No, I love that man. Now you did mention that eight to ten states, man. What what states are you planning on hitting this spring? Oh, let's see. Uh, the the for sure states are Mississippi, Florida, Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, South Dakota, Nebraska. I'm waiting for word on the Michigan draw. Did I miss a state somewhere? And then um, I may hit PA. I think there's nine states. I may have missed one somewhere, but um, <laughs> Nebraska, South Dakota, Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, possibly PA, Florida, Mississippi. So that's uh, kind of the primary ones right now, or the, the for sure's and then the possible PA. That's awesome, man. Which one are you most excited about? I, I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm excited to, if I do get PA. That'll be a new state for me. Awesome. I haven't hunted PA yet. Uh, Michigan was fun in June last year, and that's uh, that I'm looking forward to trying that again i i am entertaining the thought of hopping across to wyoming and, and montana other uh, my oh, well. wyoming's tag is very affordable and if i'm gonna be out in south dakota you know a few hours away i may just decide and i haven't finished buying my tag so it's, usually i have my schedule you know filled out and completed and i know been finalized by now but this year i'm still kind of tweaking it it just depends on how how things are going I may hop over to Wyoming and Montana just to add two more new states. I'm not trying to, you know, hunt every state that has huntable populations in that U.S. slam. I just try to fill my, if I have a free day, I'm trying to find a place to go to fill a tag or to, to hunt rather. 
Yeah. Uh, even if that doesn't mean filling a tag. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Now you come from the state of South Carolina, you said, right? I've recently heard that, you know, the two hardest states to hunt turkey in the South is Alabama and South Carolina. Would you agree? South Carolina is a pretty tough state to hunt. In the, in the, I haven't hunted the, the Southern half in a long time. The last time I hunted there, the Southern half or the low country seemed to be much better than the upstate where I grew up and hunted. Now, the upstate in South Carolina was uh, great. It was some of the best turkey hunting in the state. And for whatever reason, the, the population just took a, a, a huge decline. The last time I hunted there, I was lucky to even hear a bird gobble. Wow. Um, so it was drastically different than what it was when I was growing up. The lower part of the state, the low country, I, I hunted it not a year or two prior to my last time I hunted upstate. And the hunting was still pretty good down there. We were hearing gobbles. We were getting on birds. Alabama, I've only hunted one general area of Alabama and the hunting there was pretty good. Yeah. And I've got buddies that gone down there and, and done well. So I can't say based on me and my friends experience that Alabama's a tough state to hunt. <laughs> Maybe there's just a bunch of people from Alabama that are all coming together to make it seem like yeah. it's a hard state to hunt. <laughs> they but, just you know, keep everybody out. You know what they say? Every everyone's personal home state is always you can kill a bird there you can kill a bird anywhere that's what everyone yeah. says <laughs> yeah. um, south carolina that's is my home state i used to think it was a pretty good state to hunt now it's it's gotten tough i don't know if it's arkansas tough i haven't hunted in arkansas but everyone says that's it doesn't matter who you are they always say that and it's just because mm-hmm. the lack of birds there their population has really taken those out yeah that makes total sense now we're actually gearing up myself and uh, a couple other buddies. We're gearing up for a trip this year out to Oklahoma. We're going to chase some Rios around in circles and uh, see what we can do. You ever hunt out there out West? Uh, yeah. That, my Oklahoma is a fun place to hunt. And I, yeah. I actually thought about going back this year. I was actually going to go to Texas and hunt and maybe hit Oklahoma. Also the Texas trip got canceled. So I just scratched the Oklahoma off of that. And I'm going to try and do it next year. Um, man, if I, if I had the time and money, like anybody <laughs> that turkey hunts, I'd go every state I could, you know, just to hunt every single day of the season, but I, I don't have that, uh, luxury. Um, I am fortunate I get to hunt more than uh, a lot of people. So I'm not taking that for granted, but there's only so much I can do in a season of, of my free time and that got scratched, unfortunately. So how do the Rios compare to an, an Eastern? I mean, we've, I've only ever hunted Easterns in my entire life, you know. PA, Ohio, West Virginia, Virginia, um, you know, right here in our little circle. So how are the, the Rios, uh, compared? The Rios to me are, are very similar and this Miriams are very similar in their mannerisms and the way they act. <laughs> I think in general, Western birds are easier to hunt and, and yeah, you're going to run into a bird that doesn't want to come in to call. And they may not be readily callable, but they like to, they're much more vocal than an Eastern bird or eastern subspecies so even if they won't come to your call you can give them the gobble you can roost them you can set in tight or set up tight and then next morning you can keep tabs on where they're at because of the the willingness to gobble during throughout the day so in that regard it's easier it's also usually there's open terrain out there where you're hunting so you have the advantage of seeing them from a uh, you know from a distance and deciding to make a move use the terrain or whatever but Sometimes those can be some stubborn birds to call in where Eastern will come running in as soon as you make one yelp. Yeah. Sometimes they'll just gobble and go the other way or they'll just hold their ground. 
So that they they have their pros and cons. But if I had to give an overall rating, you're going to have uh, lightly have easier time killing one of those birds as opposed to an eastern, especially a timber eastern. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited for it. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, it's going to be a lot different for sure. I'm going to just bring out like regular eastern decoys. Does that make a difference? Yeah, it, it doesn't matter. Turkey's a turkey. I mean, you you see I all thought- the variations of people posting pictures of white turkeys or it looks like a roll whatever those domestic turkeys they got mm-hmm. those, they they recognize them as a turkey they don't care what color they are <laughs> they don't care if they're fit i will yeah i will brown. say this that their gobbles sound a lot like a farmyard bird so when you when you hear that you, you're like, oh it sounds like the neighbor's got a turkey pinned up no that's a rio or, or miriam that <laughs> <laughs> you grew up with a turkey right I heard a little story how the turkey used to chase you around and, and chase your brother around until your brother got wise and slapped the turkey upside its head. Yeah, we. Uh, I just talked about that uh, <laughs> on the. I uh, had a recent podcast and we discussed yeah. that. Yeah, um, I I used to raise turkeys. You know, I was always fascinated by them, and and most of them were domestic turkeys. But I had a buddy that had a, a wild gobbler, and he gave it to me. He 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 was tired of it. It actually a car had hit a flock come around the curve in the road and they were standing the road and you know slammed on brakes slid off into the ditch and one of them got injured and was pinned on the car and they raised it i don't know what the legalities are having a wild turkey back then so it's i'm, I'm sure the <laughs> statute of limitations is over yeah i'm sure <laughs> i was a kid man anyway <laughs> had a uh had a wild turkey gobbler and and he was the mean little son of a gun and he was chasing me i tried to feed him i'm like get back you know quit quit trying to flog me i'm trying to feed you and I, I have a twin brother and he would come over and he would chase the gobbler would chase him too. And my brother got uh, fed up with him chasing him all the time. And he just reared back and smacked him upside the face, you know, open, open hand slap. And that gobbler like shook his head and was like, whoa. And you know, <laughs> from then on, he was scared of, afraid of my brother. And every time he'd come over, the gobbler was still afraid of him, you know, days, weeks later. And, but he'd still try to attack me. And I'm like, Man, how does he know the difference between us? I was like, let's, let's do a little test. So we went in the house and we changed clothes. I put on his shirt and pants and shoes and hat and he, he put on mine and we walked back outside and we're identical twins now. So, I mean, most people can't tell us apart unless they've known us for, you know, a few years. Anyway, we walked outside and that gobbler went straight to chase to me and running from him. So it's like <laughs> he, he could tell the difference in our faces, even though we're identical twins. That's crazy, man. Just wild, wild yeah. story. Yeah. And so that was kind of the trigger for me. Like, oh, I bet if turkeys can tell a human face apart, they can recognize each other by their facial features. Even though I, I can show you a gobbler and, and then show you another gobbler and then later bring them out and say, which one's gobbler A and which one's B, you'd never know. But I think they can pretty quickly pick up the differences and recognize a gobbler by their, their looks and their voices. Yeah. I wonder if that has to do just with their, uh, their keen eyesight and, uh, just the way that they're built, but it's pretty amazing. And I, and I wanted to go, I kind of got off track there with that story, but I thought it was funny. So I wanted you to tell it, but, but getting back to like the, the out of state theme and, uh, the reason I brought up Oklahoma, it's like, you know, we're going to be spending a pretty short time out there. And it seems like your trips, like you said, four or five days. How do you get on birds fast? And especially while, like you always mentioned, You'd like to move slow through the woods, right? But you end up getting on birds pretty fast, getting the job done fast most of the time. So what's your tactic there of getting on them quick on a four or five day hunt? 
Well, I mean, if I'm going out west, it's a little bit easier to depend on pinpoint a turkey because you they have only a, a few areas they can roost you know trees are limited especially the areas with trees are limited so um you know you can use the shadows on like onyx or google maps or whatever you're using you can use the shadows of the trees to determine the size of the trees a lot of times so i you know i already have an idea where i think is potential areas they'll roost and i'm looking for cottonwoods for instance and um you know i'll get there if i arrive in the afternoon I may just concentrate on riding around looking at the area and trying to roost birds, you know, coyote house, whatever. And out there in the, you know, open terrain, the west and stuff, southwest, the coyote house carries forever and a gobble carries forever right back to you. So you may hear them gobble from a mile away or more. I mean, it's even possible to call. I've called a bird in from 0.9 miles away. I just dropped pins on where uh, it was one of my South Dakota hunts and I measured it after the fact, but he was 0.9 miles away when, and I called him in. So, I mean, being able to reach out there with loud uh, locator calls, scouting, cyber scouting ahead of time, picking uh, potential roosting locations. If I'm out west, I don't normally hunt so slow like I do in timbered areas where I just take it sure. so methodical. Out there, it's open. You can see much farther, so you can make quicker decisions and quicker movements to get from A to B. Yeah, I that, that answers your question. No, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um. I, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense for out there now. Like you said, you're going south, uh, thicker timber, maybe a little bit more hills in the terrain, uh, creek bottoms, whatnot. You know, you're just trying to get down there. You've already scouted. You're you're getting to high points and maybe locating using the, the – you like the coyote how I know you use that quite often. Don't be afraid to sacrifice. You know, a lot of people get there, they think they have to hunt, hunt, hunt. My Michigan hunt, for instance, I could have just blazed through the night and arrived there before daybreak and, you know, to, to hunt that first morning. But I had four days there. And so, and I didn't want to fall asleep at the wheel. So I wasn't so concerned about getting there after daybreak and using that first day to ride around and learn the gates, learn where the access points were, see what the trees looked like in person, where the creeks were, how big they were maybe walk through the woods and that's what i did i walked through the woods found scratching i found turkey sign called obviously a little bit hoping to strike one but a lot of people i think get to a spot and they just immediately go into hunt mode instead of let's assess the area first and stay in kind of a scout mode dial back the hunt mode a little bit and 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 then once you figure out some things then go okay now it's time to hunt and go full bore at that no i think that's really solid advice and you know, the same thing kind of goes, I don't want to take it off topic, but the same thing kind of goes for whitetail when you do a whitetail hunt out of state. You know, you always want to go in. If it's sight unseen, it, it's the same thing. You got to go in, you got to hunt the fresh sign. Hot sign's always going to be your best bet. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's solid advice. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I listened to you talk about fresh sign on that. I think it was the same podcast I was listening to, you know, just as simple as a turkey track after rain, you know, something that. I know I, I, when I was listening to it, I, I'm like, wow, I'm guilty of doing that. Just walking right over turkey tracks and not hunting that area. You know, maybe I'm working to get to one spot because I marked it on a map and I'm like, this looks good. And then I walk over turkey tracks to get there. You want to touch on just like fresh sign. And once you're on fresh sign, kind of your approach to it. Yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, it, it's easier to tell what's fresh and not if you, if there was a recent rain. And we, I've been successful on some of these hunts where I found a fresh track and I knew it rained that night. And so there was 
a good probability this fresh gobbler tracks this gobbler you know may still be within hearing distance you know that worked in our favor in florida with my daughter we were walking along and there was a fresh gobbler track in like a fire ant mound or something and i had to convince her to sit set up and she was like oh really she was she wanted to go fishing that's what it was <laughs> and i said like, just give it 30 minutes we'll sit here and we'll see what happens well we called in a gobbler and she killed it uh wisconsin we were we had hunted all day well we killed one that morning but then we hunted all day that day and it, you know the rain had just ended that morning when we started hunting and we came across what looked like where a gobbler had landed on the dirt road you Ooh. know and was running like he had pitched down that morning landed on the dirt road you could see how it was scuffed up and then he was running to slow down and then the walking track you know and that was kind of the way i envisioned it and i was like man that gobbler may still be around here and so uh we we walked and called and we we got i don't know a couple hundred yards from those tracks and and hit a call and i probably would have set up closer to those tracks but it just wasn't a good location to set up it just didn't look like you know a good setup to call one into and i didn't want to set up on the road itself and we rounded the curve and i could see it looked a little more uh inviting as far as a good spot to, to kill a bird called in a little bit somewhat open and i made a call and a bird gobbled so all right let's get set up and so we got set up and I got, I called again and he didn't gobble. And so I was like, yeah, let's just sit here. He's going to be one of those pressured Poland birds. He's going to come in quiet looking. And we waited there for, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes at least. It might have been a little bit longer. And here he comes sneaking down the road looking. And he got to where he heard that last call and he just sat there and strutted, looking, strutting. He knew exactly where that location, that last call. He finally kind of lost interest and, and just walked into the, well, not really lost interest. He's, he kind of broke from that little location and walked into the woods and my buddy shot him. So uh, a couple of instances there that I can remember right off the top of my head where, you know, we found fresh sign, just like you said, deer hunting set up on it. What, I mean, what do you got to lose? I mean, obviously sure. there's a turkey that's been there recently and it may still be in the area, especially if you find a gobbler trap. Yeah. Now <clears throat> PA, like I can relate that to us. What we typically see a lot is you'll come up on a, maybe a big open wooded area with a lot of oak trees and a lot of acorns. And you'll come up and the whole thing's just completely scuffed up, tore up the whole way through. You might see, you know, some scat and feathers like it looks like a roosting tree there. Now, our first half of the season, you can only hunt till noon. Second half of the season, you can hunt all day. You know, if I can only hunt till noon and I, I come across this maybe scouting, um, for the season or you can't hunt Sundays here. So let's say a Sunday. I mean, you see all that sign. What would that be something to invest in a morning hunt in or would that be better to wait and try to catch like an evening hunt second half of the season in that area? Uh, oh, I, I hate deer hunting turkeys and I know, um, like setting up on sign is, is not a bad thing, but I wouldn't invest an all afternoon uh, in most cases. You know, if I find, now the scratching, how how recent is? And you can look at scratching a lot of times and tell if it was just done within the last few hours or or that morning or that afternoon in the in the poop. And don't be afraid to pick up turkey poop and 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 just feel the how fresh it is, how soft it is. Uh, try to avoid those black mushy uh, poops. <laughs> <laughs> but your typical poop is uh is kind of like soft play doh uh, yeah. consistency. And a lot of times I'll pick that up just to confirm, okay, this is fairly fresh. It's obviously an area that turkeys like to be. Probably not a bad idea to set up and blind call for a couple hours, you know, uh, give it, it, it man, I'll tell you what, uh, I just want to do a sidebar here. 
when I was younger and I was hunting and I'd set up in one spot for 30 minutes, it seemed like an eternity. Now I'll set up in a location in 30 minutes, just zips by. And I'm like, oh, wow, I've already been here a half hour. But that's just a little side note. I don't know why I went on that tangent. But uh, <laughs> at any rate, if you can set up and line call for, I'd give it about two hours uh, and uh, see what's in the area. Obviously, it's a good spot because there, there's fresh sign. It may be the location you come back to the next morning before daybreak. And, you know, especially if you know there's fresh sign there and the turkeys are using the area, look mm-hmm. at the lay of the land around you and say, okay, this will be a good spot to be at as it got light the next morning. Don't just say, oh, there's fresh sign and drop a pin in that location. And then you come back in the dark and you don't know which tree to set up. So right. go ahead and pick out a tree and then maybe come in the next morning. Now, are you allowed, I'm assuming you are allowed to, um, in the afternoon, stay out there and try to roost birds or, or just observe? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah you are can you, do that. Are you, do you have to take your gun out of the woods or can you just have it unloaded and with you? I would say... That's a hairy situation. Dave, kind of a gray I would, I would keep the gun out of the woods just because okay. you never know who you're going to run into. Um, I mean, say if, if I was out there hunting and it was I'm two miles deep, and I just oh. unloaded my gun and I didn't want to walk two miles out to come back in there. You know, I guess I'll have to take that fight up with the game warden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. I mean, I would say if you were, uh, you know, I mean, it, it ends at noon. So if you were done at noon and you were two miles deep and you were walking out with your gun loaded or, you know, if you're going to sit in there all day until dark, I mean, I don't know if you would do that. That's like I would probably have an area I hunt and then have an afternoon spot that I want to go to scout and just go back and truck. There's another state, I think it's Virginia or West Virginia mm-hmm. that you have to, you can't have an uncased gun is the way the law is written in the woods after a certain time. One o'clock. That is and correct. So our, our discussion with a buddy was I'll just take a soft case and roll it up and put it in my pack and then just put my gun in that soft case while I'm out there past one. And then I'd be legal because it would be a cased gun. Yeah, yeah, because you can't be in the field with an uncased gun past one o'clock. Um, our rules aren't that strict, um, but you can't hunt, legally hunt yeah. past noon. So, I mean, typically what we do is just unload the guns and we walk out. Walk and, out, yeah. Yeah, we've never had any trouble that way either. But that actually brings up, I mean, a lot of that little sidebar you did and a lot of stuff you covered brings up another question I had, you know. Your sips, I mean, your style, would you would you call yourself more of a, a running gun kind of guy? Or would you say you do less sits with better quality sits than you do just jumping all over the place? Uh, I'm more of a walking cough okay. <laughs> than a running gun. Um, that, that, I, that works good. I mean, yeah, even as I get older, ones. I don't move as fast as I used to. I'm, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you, sometimes I set up in blind call just because I'm dog tired and i just want to take a break i try to be smart about it and sit down in areas where i think i have a chance to call in a bird and uh i've after years of turkey hunting have has tuned my brain to turkey vocalizations i can i can be asleep and the bird off in the distance a faint gobble and it'll wake me up right away i mean i i hear that uh that happened in tennessee drove through the night i was i hadn't had much sleep i was editing up i was up late editing i was tired that morning i was been hunting all morning and i sat down on the hillside was, the sun was warm i was like oh this is a great place to sit and i, I know i was gonna do, doze off and i guess i'd been dozed off for 30 45 minutes or more and and i hear just some little soft bucks and immediately woke up you know 
And so I've gotten tuned for that. So I'm not, I'm not too concerned about going to sleep out in the woods and, and missing anything. If, if something makes a turkey sound, I usually hear it right away. But uh, yeah, I'm more of a, a long story short, I'm more of a running gun type of person. I like to stay on the move, make things happen. But if, if, if things are slow going, I will take a chance to set up and blind call, especially if I'm kind of at a loss of where I should be going. If, if, if things just aren't working, I'm like, Oh, maybe I'd just be better off just sitting here and listening for a little while and see what goes on. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Now I'm not trying to backtrack here at all, but before I felt like it was perfect opportunity, you know, we were talking about fresh sign. We were talking about a couple of stories you were saying um, where you came across a fresh track. So mm-hmm. that kind of brings me into my next question you know, do you have kind of like a go-to locator call? I know we mentioned before you're like the master of coyote howls. And <laughs> you said the magic word. <laughs> yeah, there we go. But do you have like that 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 solid go-to that you feel like you almost always get a gobble off of? Coyote howl does a great job, but um I don't usually like to use that just ra- you know randomly through uh, throughout the day or you know especially if there's potential of turkeys nearby. Mm-hmm. I've had a lot of success throughout the day. If you watch anybody that's watched enough of my videos, you'll see me owl hooting on up in the morning, all up in the day. I've had a lot of success getting turkeys to gobble with that, and that's just because owls do owl hoot during the day. And I've had people say, "Man, you should be using a crow call during the day and an owl hooter at daybreak." Well. Here's a news flash. Owls do wake up during the day and they do hoot. Yeah. And I think what is so beneficial to an owl hooter is the turkeys don't hear it on a regular basis. You know, it's not common. It does occur. It's just not common. Whereas a crow, you know, is, as soon as it starts cracking light, they start making noise and they crow all freaking day and or call. And I think sometimes the turkeys just become immune to it or just it's just the monotony of the crows and that new sound a lot of times is enough to elicit a gobble and and you can use a goose call for that i've done that in the past i just you know i don't try to carry so many calls with me so i try to carry the ones i think are 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 very effective like an owl hooter and i can coyote how i'm a turkey call so i'm a mouth call so that doesn't require to carry anything extra my next i guess my next locator call would be actual turkey calls uh cutting and I always try to follow it up the Yelp. It always seems like the cutting is the is the attention getter. Yeah. And when you end it with the Yelp, that's enough to trigger that gobble. And sometimes they'll gobble on top of the cuts. Uh, and then, you know, the, the coyote howls, that, just that loud, piercing squeal, that howl is uh, enough sometimes to get them to gobble. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. And then to even, like, roll, keep rolling with that, you know, you said you take calls that you feel are going to be most effective. Now, I have a buddy that just absolutely swears by middle of the day, you can't get anything talking. He has a boat or a box call. It's goofy as hell sounding, and he feels like that is the one call that when they're not answering to anything else, that's what gets them strike. Yeah, they're, they, they, they don't sound very turkeyish. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. They have a, but they're really high pitched. Yeah. yeah. And those, those are good. It's just, it's a real big, bulky call. Yeah, um, right. Me personally, nothing against box calls, but I, because I, I, I think they sound fantastic. I hate carrying them because they're just bulky, and and if you don't get them something in between the lid and the and the the paddle or the rails and the paddle, they're gonna squeak and make turkey noise. I mean, I can't count on my hands how many times I've been with somebody and they've had a box call and as they're walking this, and I'm like, dude, if you don't 
quiet that boss call, but uh, we're going to toss it through the woods. <laughs> <laughs> See, honestly, I wouldn't do that, but yeah. yeah. I, I don't uh, carry it either. I, I, um, you know, that brings me to another point I've heard you mention. Like, I have zero confidence in my ability with a box call. I must be the only person in this world that cannot work a box call with any kind of consistency because I swear I start on that thing. It takes me like three or four hits until it finally starts sounding right. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't take that. You know, I, I know I have enough confidence in a mouth call that I can make it sound right right off the bat. But a, a box call, I just, uh, I don't even a pot call. I'm, you know, I, I sometimes use it, but I just, uh, I kind of live and die by the mouth call personally. Yeah. And I'm just not, I mean, I'm a, I'm okay with a box call. I mean, it's, uh, but I can hear, I hear some guys and, and watch some guys running pot call or box calls and they are phenomenal. They're doing things on there that I didn't think possible, you know, until I saw yeah. it, you know, some of the cutting and yelping and, and stuff. And, and so I, I, I won't dismiss box calls as being great. Call, uh, calls for uh, mimicking turkey vocalizations. I just don't like the bulkiness. Sure, um, uh, is the main reason. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm an amateur at box calls. I know how to slide the lid back and forth, and I know how to <laughs> pop it to make a clock. <laughs> That's about yeah. it. I guess that makes sense. It's like anything else you do. If you don't practice at it or do it enough, you're never going to yeah. get really good at it. And yeah. that's where I stand too. Yeah. But, you know, going back to um, like owl hooting in the middle of the day and some of the, the locating calls, I know you've mentioned before too, like realism is your thing. Like you want to be sounding as real as possible when you're in the woods, leaving as little disturbance as possible out there. And that's something that's big with you too, like making sure that things sound real. You think that, or you believe that, that, you know, affects positively or negatively how kind of your hunt's going to go does that sound right well i think there's benefits to realism you know it, it, if you're on fa- social media and someone says hey uh anybody recommend an owl hooter now this is i've seen this a hundred times the responses are oh you don't need it just use your natural voice you know yeah and i just throw my eyes at those answers because you know yeah it's going to save you carrying a call out there but most people are not going to be able to reproduce realistic owl hoots. And they'll say, well, you don't need to sound realistic to, to get a bird to gobble. No, but there's benefits to being realistic. You know, most people just think I make a loud noise. He's either going to gobble or he's not. And I'll give you an example where it's benefited me to be realistic. I like to sound realistic, number one. So hopefully other hunters don't hear me. You know, I know that can come in in a bad way if, you get one to gobble and they hear you owl hoot. It's like, Oh, a real owl got a bird to gobble. You know, if you fool the, that hunter, I think most people can tell me I'm tell I'm a, using an owl call, but I just don't like people to know where I'm at when I'm trying to locate. I'd like them to think I'm a real owl. But the, the point I was getting to is I've been on hunts where one in particular in South Carolina, just uh, the one I always recall is I was owl hooting that whole morning trying to get one to gobble. I'd made some turkey calls. I couldn't get anything to gobble. And this was on up in the morning. Sun was up in the sky pretty good. And I made some owl hoots. Nothing gobbled. But because, at least this is what I believe, my, my owl hooting was realistic. I had an owl that was 400 yards away start hooting back to me. And then I heard a gobble. That gobbler was 100 yards from that owl. He didn't want right. to gobble to me because I sounded so faint. But because I was making realistic owl hoots, I got a real owl to respond that was located near that bird. So the realism in that regard went played to my advantage. Where if somebody just went out there and said, Whoo, you know, and didn't get a gobble, you know, a lot of times that real owl would have not even re- responded to the that person. 
So it does have its advantages. Unless it's Ric Flair, woo. <laughs> yeah. Woo! <laughs> 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 oh, man. No, I've heard that. I've heard that happen uh, multiple times where, uh, you know, you call and then an owl answers and then that owl's like right next to the gobbler and then the gobbler, then he sounds off. Um, that happened last year with us up my camp in the, in the big woods because a lot of times too, you know, with the hills and the way they play, you know, our sound probably didn't carry over into that next valley down. But since that owl was kind of down in there or up in the trees there, when he called, he struck down into the valley. And then it sent off a bird down there, yeah. which was, it was pretty neat to see yeah, he's it. Closer, so he's a little bit louder, but sure. I mean, it doesn't always work. I mean, mm-hmm. case in point, in, in my recent Wisconsin video with me and Catman and Garrett Prawl, the DIY sportsman, uh, we had a field gobbler and I, I owl hooted down the woods and he gobbled to it and it triggered some, uh, a pair of mating owls to come up and start responding to me. And they, they didn't gobble to it. And then I out hooted a little bit later and he gobbled to it. And Catman made comment about that. He's like, man, he really loves that, that owl call shade you're using. He didn't gobble at the real owls, but he gobbled to him. And, uh, so it doesn't always work to your advantage, but, uh, it's nothing wrong with triggering real owls to re- respond and get more owl, you know, more hunters out there locating, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we can't glaze over the fact that, I mean, maybe not now. I don't know. Did you compete in owl calling or was it just for turkey calling? Uh, I only done the owl hooting divisions at Grand Nationals the last couple of years. I, okay. I, I, what was it? I tied for second the year before and I tied for first the past, which would have been last year. They didn't have it this year because of COVID. Okay. So, so for about, I don't know, five or 10 minutes, I was tied for first in the nation until we had the call off. And then I lost the, I lost in the call off. So I I was grand national champion for 10 minutes (laughs) 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 or co-champion. I would take it. That's a, that's a half a gold for sure. Yeah. Yeah, That's impressive. My, my goal when I started competition calling and the, the reason I got in, it wasn't a goal. I just, I remember when I was younger and I saw the, uh, the Grand National Calling Championships and I was like, man, it sure would be cool to be up on that stage one day, but it, there's no way I'd be able to get up there. And it wasn't because of, I was just too shy at the time. And it's like, there's no way I can get up in front of all those people. And I outgrew that. And uh, thankfully, and, and, uh, and then the 20, let's see how many years later would that would have been? Gosh, 25 years later, I'm up on the stage taking gold trophies home you know where it's just you know when i was a kid i was like man, it'd just be cool to be up on that stage and yeah. here i am so yeah. i'm thankful for that i bet when you first started off there was probably uh more nerves going on your first couple years calling in that competition than than maybe any gobbler standing in front of you oh I, i'll tell you this i i'm much more nervous at one of the local contests the small ones where there's only eight eight or ten people in there watching grand <laughs> nationals because they have all those bright lights and front of you and you're up on that stage and the crowd's kind of tucked into the darkness you don't even see anything out there it's like you're looking at a black screen and the bright lights and as long as you don't make eye contact because you can you can kind of see some of the people out there don't make eye contact with anyone i usually just kind of stare at an object that it's not crowd related like uh the timer or just look into space yeah i was much more nervous at the local ones than i was there that's for sure yeah and uh, those those local contests will get you rattled more than sometimes in a gobbler in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> that makes total sense, honestly. Yeah, that would be tough. I, I I don't 
think I could ever do it. I'm not a good caller at all, but I know I've heard other guys say, you know, when they first started calling competition, I mean, it made them a better caller too. Yeah, it, it definitely made me a better caller. I posted a, a video on social media. It's been several years now, but I had clips of me turkey calling in like 2008, you know, just snippets from Hunt from 08, 09, 2010 and on, on and so forth. 2009 is when I started competition calling and you can hear a slight improvement it wasn't until like 2015 or 14 when i discovered the the air channels and how to properly run a mouth call that you see the big jumps from 2015 to 16 to 17 where i start sounding actually sound like a turkey so from when i was 12 13 14 all the way up to 30 something i sounded pretty much the same just a typical person trying to run a mouth call and then once 2009 and 10 rolled around in, a, in the competition, you really see the improvement. And I practiced every year prior to that. It's just I I wasn't practicing in the correct way, listening to turkey audio, paying attention to how to change things on my turkey calling. So, uh, Shane, I, I do want to cover like your Instagram, man, because your how-to call videos on there. I mean, your some of your turkey memes are absolutely hilarious. But... <laughs> I've been slacking in that department lately. Yeah. Well, I get, I went through there a little bit today, just uh, trying to get some information. And I'm like, man, I, I missed all these how-to call videos. And you kind of cover like a lot. You cover a lot of calls there. I know you cover them on YouTube, too. And you just recently posted the video, the eight minutes, uh, eight different calls, I think it was. Yeah, that was that was the, um, the videos you're referring to the, on Instagram. Those were actually on TikTok. And Catman got me started on TikTok, and, and, and I, I called him up one day. I was like, "Thanks a lot for getting me hooked on TikTok." But uh, <laughs> I love TikTok, man. It's hilarious. Yeah, I got the first day I was on it. I spent most of the day on it. I was like, "I got to put this thing down." Uh, anyway, yeah, there's some good, there's some funny stuff. I know there's some lot of trash on there, but there's a lot of funny stuff on there too. Especially if you, mm-hmm. especially if you follow a lot of fellow hunters and stuff, and they're posting stuff. But long story short, they they limit your videos to one minute, and so I was trying to throw some tip videos on there and it's hard to create a tip video in one minute (laughs) (laughs) and uh so i had to think real carefully what words i wanted to say and so i would post those one minute tiktoks i would share them on instagram and then i made the i decided to collaborate them all together and put them on youtube so so it's basically eight of my tiktok calling tips so that's why they're in eight minutes because they're all one minute clips so that makes sense that makes a lot of sense um, but yeah, I mean, anybody that wants to get better at calling, I feel like you do a really good job of kind of breaking down how you do the, the call from the root of the base of the way you start that call. And then you kind of work into the actual call. I think that's really cool. It's helped me out over the years as well. And I think that's something that people should head over and, and definitely check out on your channel. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And, and what I tell a lot of people that, you know, a turkey call wasn't invented to be a turkey call. It was invented as a, a bird call, you know, so bird watchers could mimic, you know, Tweety birds or songbirds and do whatever. And we've kind of adopted it to make turkey sounds. And because of that, I've, I always explore a, a, a what can a mouth call do a coyote howling. I can do loon calls. Uh, I, I've even practiced doing crow calls on it and I've gotten a somewhat rough rendition of a crow on a mouth call. You got to get out of your mind that, okay, the, whoever's marketing this call, they say, oh, it's capable of doing this and that. And you think you can just put it in your mouth. 
but but better yet look at it as a musical instrument and you know you got your several reeds one reed is producing one note like your second reed this the one right below the top reed it's uncut it's producing that clear front and then the top one does the rasp most of the the harsher sounds and so think of it as keys on a, a, a maybe a trumpet or, or a piano and treat it that way and once you learn how to control the different reeds then you can make the music that you want what i would suggest to people is learn to, to control that uncut reed the one that gives you that clear front note because that's the foundation for all your calling you can do your key keys you can do your little whips and whines um your little soft yelps you know you don't even need a top reed that's cut to do this real soft under your breath kind of yelps a little so i mean it's it's a musical instrument treat it like that and once you get the foundation of uh, controlling that call you can get it to do pretty much what you want to do with enough practice yeah that's the key word with enough practice (laughs) yeah i thought it was amazing i was um listening i think there was a podcast you and catman were on with uh with zach and zach farinbaugh and you Catman actually mentioned it about flipping the call over in your mouth and making like the key key and you can yeah. do like soft stuff with it. So I, I was curious enough today, pulled the call out, started calling on one end and it's like the raspiest bat wing call that I have. And then I flipped it over and I'm like, wow, I can yeah, purr, you know, it's, it's that's, crazy. That's, that's just all in how the air goes. To, so when you're blowing a turkey call, the air goes between above your tongue and under the call so it's going to below the reeds basically and that's why the reeds are staggered the top one is out the farthest the middle one you know and the bottom one's the shortest reed it's so air can hit all three okay. if they if the top reeds recess it'll never vibrate because air is not going across it you know air air passing it's simple uh, like aerodynamics you know air going across the bottom and there's nothing going across the top produces low pressure and it causes the reed to want to move towards the low pressure. And then because of the elasticity of the reed, it springs back. And so that's why it vibrates. So when you flip your call over, now your longest reed is out the farthest and it's blocking your other shorter reeds are back and not getting any air. And so now you're basically, in, well, I should take that back. It's, it's not necessarily that it's, uh, you're taking the rasp away. It's because if you go watch my mouth call mechanics video, this will make a lot of sense. You know, their airflow where you're at. So now that you have a, a call where you can get rasp on, now you flipped it. Now it's moved it to the other side of your mouth where your airflow is not necessarily at. Now you're on the area of that reed that's not got the cuts in it. And so you're able to do different sounds. I mean, I can take a turkey call and, and call on it and I can flip it over and I can't get any rasp at all. All it is is going to be, uh, you know, just clean stuff. So, yep. and that, and that's kind of the reason I just wanted to touch on that's why that's happening. Yeah. I thought it was neat because I can almost carry one call and do a few different things with it now yeah. that I yeah. never knew before. So yeah, it, it definitely changes the sound. If you want to just flip it over and produce a different hand or maybe Jake yelps on it, you know, something like yeah. that or get a, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking and almost make it sound like two different birds calling to each other. I can kind of do it like a kiki or a wine from one with some soft. Mm-hmm clucks and then flip it over real quick and answer with a raspy old hen you know and kind of make it a scenario so we're we're getting there towards the end and and one thing that we we love to do with every guest is we want you to uh reach back in your memory book and and come up with uh you know one of your favorite stories if you want to share one of your favorite hunting stories with us 
it can be anything, man. Uh, <laughs> we, we also like to spring this on our, our guests and not tell them ahead of time. <laughs> yeah, because that's a good idea because now I got to sit here and think a minute. What is, cause there's, <laughs> there are some instances where I have some really good stories. And uh, um, when is this going to air? Because so, if it's going to be two weeks out, I'll tell this story. I can make it two <laughs> weeks out. Will that make it a little bit easier? Well, I'm I'm gonna post my Michigan hunt soon, and and this is a a recent one that you know that I think is a really cool hunt. I'll tell you and what, just, we are we're gonna record an episode right after you. I will make yours two weeks out. Okay, all right, yep. <laughs> all right. So, viewers, you can thank them for holding off so I can tell you this story because uh, <laughs> if you haven't watched the video, go back and watch it. So yeah, and I I early in the when we were talking, we weren't. Uh-huh. I wasn't gonna tell you this, but. That's so right. anyway, I went to Michigan to hunt, and the first day I didn't find, I found turkey sign, and I actually thought I heard one drumming, but I never got on any birds. At sunset, I was frantically trying to locate a bird for, to have somewhere to start the next morning. And I had, you know, three or four spots marked out, and I was going to my last spot, and I, I stopped at one other spot just to get one to gobble and nothing there. And I'm, and I'm burning up time now because, you know, every spot I got to get the camera out there and, and, get it set up and hit record so you know i'm filming a hunt i gotta i gotta get footage of this so instead of just hopping out of the truck and hitting owl hooter or coyote howl and then move to the next you know I've, i'm wasting time i get to this last spot still haven't got a bird to gobble don't know where to start the next morning and i hit a call and it's dark i mean it's 30 minutes after sunset i mean it's pretty much pitch black and a turkey gobbles and uh so i i I didn't even have the camera on because I didn't think I was going to get the gobble. This was the last spot. So I turned the camera on real quick, tried to get him to gobble. He wouldn't. Swapped to a, a coyote howl from the owl hooter and one behind me gobble 100 yards from the road. I'm like, oh, a different one gobble. Uh, so now I had a starting point in the morning. Long story short, I go in there the next morning in the dark, kind of pinned where I thought he was going to be. I'm telling you the whole hunt, but <laughs> um, I go in there the next morning w- walking in pitch dark. I can see just the shadows of the tree trunks and I'm bumping into trees and trying to feel my way through the woods because I know I'm pretty tight to this bird. Starts getting light. I get set up where I think I should. It starts getting light and he gobbles and he's, you know, 80 yards away. And so I'm, I'm in there pretty close. Now I accessed this little gravel road and across the road was another little wood lot and then a kind of a field. Both sides of the road were public and, uh, the bird's gobbling, but the one across the road is gobbling, but he's like 300 yards away. The bird on the limb, he, uh, he's gobbling well to my turkey calling. I couldn't even get him to gobble to an owl hooter that morning just to confirm where he was at. He only started gobbling when I started turkey calling. I knew the chances of me calling this bird in were pretty good. If he's answering turkey calls and, and not gobbling to other sounds, he's mm-hmm. interested. Well, he pitches down and instead of pitching down and coming towards me or, or landing out in the woods, he soars right by me and goes out towards the gravel road the way I walked in from. And I'm like, what in the world is he doing? Where is he going? And so a, a few minutes go by and I call and I hear a gobble. And I'm like, oh, he landed out there in that field. He's going towards that other gobbler. And I'm like, well, this hunt's over. So I turn my main camera to me and it's facing at me. I got my little action camera off to my right. It's filming over my shoulder and pointing in the direction that gobbler was roosted that morning. And I'm scratching my head. I'm looking at my maps. I'm telling the viewers on the camera what my thoughts are and where I should probably go next and how I should go about, you know, my next strategy. And as I'm talking, I move my hands. You can see in the, the little action camera in the woods, 
a dark object moving through the brush. <laughs> and out steps at 25 yards this gobbler right as I'm lowering my hand from talking. I just look over to my left and I'm going to have to bleep this out of my footage, but I go, oh, blank, there he is. <laughs> <laughs> and how this turkey just walked in with me moving my arms, pointing at different things and just. He, he stepped out in kind of the open and then saw my last hand movement. And then he was like, oh, there's something over there. But he just stood there looking. He wasn't sure where I was. I had a good setup in the shadows and stuff. Most case, in most situations, I would have just brought the gun up and shot him. But I've gotten to the point now that I want to get footage. Yeah. It's, if it means sacrificing a bird, it was the first morning of hunting there. So I took the chance and I reached up. The viewfinder on my camcorders, you know, turned 180s facing me so I can see myself to make sure I got it centered on me when I'm talking. I reach up there, I spin it over, I grab the handle of the, the tripod where the remote is. And about that time, he's, he can't really see my hand because it's behind the tripod and it has the burlap. And I grab the handle and start swiveling it and he starts putting. He, now he's like, uh, something ain't right here. But he just starts walking, you know, continuing the direction he was walking, basically walking it straight out in front of me. And, uh, I wheel the camera around. He kind of picks up the pace of his putting just a little bit and starts to walk a little faster. I get the camera pointed at him. I zoom in just a little bit and he steps behind a tree in, the, in his, you know, progress of walking. As soon as he does, I come up with the gun. He steps out and uh, I blast him. And so <laughs> it was, it was amazing that, uh, and I was so shocked that it, that it all was, I was able to pull it off. I even yeah. you know, say that. It's like, how did he just stand there and let me do that? <laughs> um, <laughs> But it was cool. It, I, all of it was caught on footage, on video. And, I, and the 360 camera I had, I think it caught the, the turkey flying, soaring right by me and going to the road. But when he nice. gobbled out there in the field, it wasn't him. It was the gobbler. It was across the, coming towards me. And when he pitched down, I thought that was him. He'd actually just pitched down off to my left and started walking back in. And I let my guard down. Well, um, so I got my bird, got some good footage and while i'm doing the wrap-up interview that other other gobbler that didn't hear me that morning walked into the woods also and i had to just sit there beside the tree i hurry up and sat back down after i was, uh you know got my bird up and was filling the tag out and he come into the woods and i bet he was 40 or 50 yards from me just gobbling his head off and i've got the camera rolling i'm like man if i had another tag this bird would be easy to come in and call in to kill but it was it's just a crazy hunt so that that and there, I'm sure I've got more memorable hunts uh, than that, but uh, that one there is just fresh in my mind because I'm editing that video currently. So, right, long story, yeah. but I think it was a fun hunt. No, that experience. that's awesome, man. That is a crazy story. I mean, I can think of a uh, a couple kind of similar to that, but they didn't turn out quite as well as yours did. <laughs> <laughs> I was just I was just thankful that he allowed me to get the camera on. Get I I didn't know what that little action camera was gonna uh, was seeing. In hindsight, you know, reviewing the footage, it, it would have been, you know, acceptable just to show that footage as the, the hunt because it, it got him pretty good. It was a, it was in 4K mode. So it was good footage. But, uh, yeah. just the fact that he let me pull all that off in most cases, it, it never happens that way. Yeah. That's yeah. unreal, man. No, that's awesome. That's going to be great because now they can listen to it here. Then they can head over to your channel and they can go watch it. I think that's really cool. Yeah. I just, look forward to it. Remember how you're envisioning it right now. And see if mm. my story lines up with how you envisioned it when you actually see the, the, the hunt. Yeah, I'm excited for it, man. <laughs> Sounds good. We'll do. All right, Shane, before we let you go, here's your opportunity to shine, man. Let everybody know where they can find you. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all your fun places. Okay. So uh, 
my, my videos are all hosted over at YouTube. Uh, Shane Simpson, just uh, that'll be one of the first search results, uh, typically, especially if you'd like type in Shane Simpson hunting. Um, that's where you'll find all my, my turkey hunting and, and deer hunting and deer tracking. Um, I'm on Instagram at Shane underscore Simpson underscore hunting. Facebook, Shane Simpson. Calling on Turkeys is on Facebook. I have a TikTok account. I guess just my username, Simp Zenith, over there. And my website, callingallturkeys.com. My videos are hosted over there, too. I just kind of embed the links. There's a lot of uh, turkey and owl and other animal vocalizations and videos. So if you want to practice your pileated woodpecker, I have some of that on there. Some barred owl, a lot, uh, Jake yelping, uh, hen yelping video. Most of a lot of videos, some audio clips. And then I, I sell my turkey calls over there, too. So if y'all want to help out and buy a couple of turkey calls, head on over there for that. That's about it. That's awesome, awesome, man. We really appreciate you taking time out of your night, coming on, telling us some good stories, giving us some good information, man. It's it's awesome. We really appreciate you. Yeah. And uh, anyone out there that ordered turkey calls from me and, they, and, they, and they're late arriving, uh, you can thank these guys. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'll appreciate take blame. I, I'll be selfish. That's okay. <laughs> no, I've, I've got me. the last batch that's going in the mail in the morning, so I'm all called up. It's good. been uh, it's been. A blessing to have all the orders here re- lately with turkey season about here, but uh, um, it has been hectic. But appreciate you guys having me on. I enjoyed the conversation. Absolutely, I have to reach out and get a couple myself as well. And uh, hey, good luck this season, man. I hope you, uh, you know, I hope you kill at least one, if not two, in every state. How about that? <laughs> if I kill one in every state, that would be super. Um, but that'd be uh, amazing. Yeah, yep. yeah, it will be. Well, right. Best of luck to you, Shane. Thanks again, man. All right. Thanks, guys. Y'all have a good one.